Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, here to the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, Coco Konski um, hopefully will join us tonight, but it looks like uh, uh, she is based. I know she's getting ready to leave town, so I guess, uh, Lauren, you won your bet. <laughs> <laughs> I always win my bets. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, I guess. What we're going to do here, we're going to talk about Afghanistan tonight. Uh, I mean, Lauren, I wanted to uh, bring this up. You know, she kind of said, hey, why don't we talk about it? And she uh, sent me a lot of good materials, uh, you know, what's going on. And I've also brought with me my good friend, J.D. Johannes. Uh, and I'll introduce J.D. first. J.D. basically is government. He's done you know, a lot of different roles in his life, state government. He's been a reporter. He was an embedded reporter in Iraq and Afghanistan doing documentaries. Uh, he presently run, owns a company, Beat Creek, uh, Beat Creek out of Topeka, Kansas, in which he works with uh, can, uh, politicians, political, and also has private sector uh, clients. And he also works closely with the Americans Majority Foundation, which I'm the project director and it works closely with me with America's PAC. Uh, welcome to the show, J.D. Johannes. Great to be here. And also, uh, Lauren Bies is, well, what isn't she? She is an actress. <laughs> she is a scriptwriter, filmmaker, uh, teaches. And what else do you do? What, else what have you done uh, in this well, I, I have been I have been a corporate trainer. I am a communications degree major. I also um, recently have a um, master's of fine arts with film studies and media arts. Yeah. Other than that, you really don't have much of a life, right? Other than that, <laughs> I'm ready for the next thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, real quick, before we go, now you're going to be, you know, sometime in October, you're going to be moving to Scotland. So I am. You, so you won't be living in Dublin, but you'll still be, right, the, I, think, I guess, you'll still be the right. official European correspondent for the Donaldson Files. I still will be, yes. I'll just be changing countries. That's all. Okay. I'll still be there. Yes. Yeah. I won't be returning to the right. United States probably. I don't think I, I will be unless something dramatically happens. I'm pretty content out here. Okay. That sounds reasonable. All right. Uh, mm-hmm. let, me, let, me ask, uh, let me start off this way. I mean, you brought the topic up, and then I'm going to bring in J.D. Because, yeah. you know, uh, let me, what, you know, what prompted you, what is it about Afghanistan, you know, that prompted you to do this? And what do you, uh, maybe the question I'll, I'll start off with, you know, you know, what do you think is going to happen? What should we do? And, and where do we go from here? Okay. Um, first of all, hello, J.D. It's nice to meet you. Hi, Warren. Nice <laughs> to meet you. It, it, in this virtual world, I feel like this is our, our face-to-face meeting. So, hello. 
Um, okay. Um, I I feel very passionate about this um, for a number of reasons. Um, your listeners that know me um, over the last three years know that you know we have we have Coco on the left and we have Tom on the right, and somewhere in the middle there's Lauren. Um, I was raised in a, a military family. We we voted Republican, and I was the only one. As I when I became old enough to understand a little bit more of life, um, I chose to see um, different perspectives, um, not from a purely political viewpoint, but I started seeing things more from a humanistic aspect of life. People, um, um, religion, faith. And, and so forth and so on, okay? And really, through my studies, and I, I always laugh, like, well, I've done this and I've done that, but all those experiences help to define who I am and how I relate to other people. And so I was a centrist for a while, but I now am someone that votes um, as a Democrat, okay? Not so much from politics, because I choose to think about how people should be treated. Now, normally on this show... The people that hear us on a regular basis know that I can become very passionate about things with Tom, J.D., if you ever hear our conversations. But for tonight, it's a special night because this is about Afghanistan. And it's about more than just politics, although it has been about politics for many, many decades. Because at the core of any conflict, and, J.D., from what I understand about you, you know about this intrinsically. There are people that are involved in this. There are people that we never see their faces. There are people that are suffering the loss of those that they love. And just because, and I'm, we're, most of our, our listeners are in North America, and as Americans, we tend to insulate ourselves from the rest of the world, from people that don't look like us, that don't, that don't frequent the same types of supermarkets and share the types of films that we watch. But at the core, and to quote, you know, the old saying, you know, we all do bleed red. And I'm not speaking like some woke term because I don't want anybody to throw that around because these are all social media terminology things that – are really degrading us and belittling us and dummying down society as a whole. Because when it comes down to it, it's about you lose a family member. You have a a military family member who do something for whatever their personal reason is to fight in another land and they don't come home. Or they come home and their lives are forever changed. And they've sacrificed. So tonight, I would like us to have an honest discussion and to outline to those that don't understand what's happening over there. To give people a little bit more insight. And, and that's, that's my goal for this evening. So I hope that the three of us can do that. Yeah. Okay, Jay, you've been to Afghanistan numerous times. And, yes. And so I guess uh, here's the question, and you and I've had this discussion before, but I guess the question you know comes into play is you know you know you know where do we go from you know let's say where does Afghanistan go because 
you have for years discussed the idea, maybe it's time to come home uh, from Afghanistan. Yeah, the real eye-opening experience for me, an incredible eye-opening experience, um, was in the summer of 2011. Uh, Traveled around Afghanistan uh, on on my own with uh, a group of former Russian paratroopers. Uh, One was Spetsnaz GRU. uh, One was... Uh, Russian paratroopers served in Afghanistan, and our guides were uh, <laughs> the old uh, uh, Afghan secret police were our drivers and fixers and interpreters kind of getting us around. So we traveled around totally unembedded, and then we went down to Helmand province where one of them had served uh, the Spetsnaz office but served in Afghanistan and embedded with the Marines. And Colonel Farisovich was a retired Russian special forces officer was laughing. I was just laughing and I would go out on these missions. And I'm like, what's so funny? And he's like, it's the same. It's exactly the same here. I was like, okay, we did, you, you guys didn't do a big artillery barrage and the level of violence is lower from the American experience to the Soviet experience. But it's the same. It's the same thing. And as I really dug into looking at those parallels, it reminded me, I made a documentary film about this, you know, a little bitty release. Um, and there's this line when the Soviets are debating in, the, in 78, 79, whether, what they're going to do about Afghanistan. <clears throat> and Mikhail Kapista said all the reasons why we shouldn't do it. And one of the old Soviet gets, Soviet leaders gets up there and says, well, are you saying, are you comparing our internationalist troops to the British imperialist troops? I mean, he was doing a comparison to the British experience in the uh, 19th century. And Capizza says, no, 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 no. Our troops are different, but the mountains are the same. And I would add, it goes beyond the terrain. The, the, you know, the culture is just so different, so inconceivable for many in the West uh, Mm -hmm. that it's almost impossible to overcome our approach to things. And I was just, you know, and after seeing them, like, wow, you guys are really right. And a a fascinating book uh, to read on this topic is the uh, Harvard uh, anthropologist, Joseph Henrik, who just uh, recently Mm -hmm. put this year published the book, The Weirdest People in the World. And he wanted to be westernized, west, weird, as in western, educated, industrialized, rich, democratic, okay? You want to you know, think of United States, Canada, Western Europe, Australia, okay, as you know, the prototype of weird. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, Afghanistan. Hold on, we'll follow up with that. This is Tom Donaldson here. Donaldson Pine with J.D. Johannes and Lauren Bies here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 
and the Brickyard 400 in the same year, one in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Well, welcome back to the Donaldson Files. This is Tom Donaldson with our guest, J.D. Johannes and Lauren Byes. And first of all, I want to thank Lauren uh, because it is what? Is it 11? It's what, 11.13 your time? Yes, it is. Yeah. So, yeah, this is 11.13 p.m., not a.m. Yeah, that's so. okay. <laughs> you know, so we thank you very much for sticking with us. And J.D. Johannes, I, I have to be honest with you, I called him at the last minute. Uh and he he was nice enough to join us, uh, you know, bring his experience too. Okay, now as a follow, let's kind of follow follow the thesis you uh, you were saying, and I'm going to bring Lauren in. Is basically what you found is history, in effect, was repeating itself from the British experience, from the Russian experience, to our experience. Yeah, a- remarkably, remarkably so. And one of the key drivers of that was the mismatch where you had all three instances uh the weird western okay you know mentality industrialized uh coming at a culture that is still tribal feudal mm-hmm. and trying to impose our way on them you know through by force or with a lot of money and carrots and sticks and you know it is is they're not ready for it they're not all that interested in it their culture isn't nearly ready for it and so many of their deep human cultural institutions and psychologies and they're just it's the way it is they're complete and we try to say make do things our way do things this way do things you know it, that is not going to work and I got to see this play out over and over again. And I just, there's, you know, as I'd be walking around, I was like, there's no way to solve this with an M4 carbine, guys. Okay. We, you, mm-hmm. we, there's no way to really solve this with an M4 carbine. And honestly, I don't think we know how to. And many of them don't want us to have zero interest in it as well. Um, because you go into places where I've been up in the mountains and you will seriously ask yourself, what century am I in? You'll seriously ask yourself that. There's this great line in the book about Louis Dupree, Afghanistan, the, uh, written in the early 70s. It's the most modern and still incredibly accurate uh, sociology and ethnography and history of Afghanistan. There's this line written in 1973 when he says, the wheel has arrived in Afghanistan. You're like, whoa, 
how far behind on the de- developmental scale are they? And we, we think in the West that everybody should be like us and we're the norm. But if we step back into the big picture, we realize we are the weird ones. We are the anomaly in the West. And oh, yes. When you, when you yeah. fully embrace that, you understand that it's like these places up in these mountains, okay, all of a sudden, you know, after 2001, they got cell phones and the ability to buy you know, airline tickets. That is a huge cultural shift that took mm-hmm. the West a long time. And the closest analogy you have to something accelerating that fast uh, was Japan in the late 19th century. But that was a very voluntary effort on their part, whereas this is less than voluntary <laughs> Yeah, than what happened in yeah. Afghanistan. Well, again, that's a good point, because basically what we're looking at, we're looking at a culture that is, ha- is basically this is what they are, this is what they are, and maybe this guy points out to the limitation of what one can accomplish or not accomplish. Uh, and it, you know, when you're dealing with, let's say, quote unquote, nation building, you know, not to take these things into account. I'm wondering your thoughts, what he's just saying. Oh, JD, I agree with you completely about that. And this is, it, it's really ironic that people, and I say people in general, but social scientists don't have been studying this throughout history. Certain cultures, every culture, they they embed themselves within their certain traditions and it's it's a process and it's just it's almost like evolution for a certain species that's exactly what it means evolution for that species and the same thing is a result for a culture and what happens is when anything is forced i think we understand this through the laws of physics you know when you force something what happens? You get, you get an adverse reaction. You really do. You get a reaction, but if you force it, there is, it becomes an adverse, adverse reaction, and, and that's what we're seeing because it's not something that's a natural state that's, being, that's occurring. And, you, you know, it's very hard to um, – it's like putting someone in school when they don't want to go to school. Ever try to put somebody in college when they really don't want to go to college? I think we all know that feeling, right? We all know somebody okay. that you should not be in school. It's, it's, I'm, I'm speaking it very simplistically, but it's that type of thing. Now, put someone's real ideology, their religious, the way they, the foods, their clothing. I mean, how dare any country do that to anyone? All right, let, let me, let me, let, here's a question I'm going to ask here. Is okay. Let's see. Uh, what the? Is this is a pretty good sized country to begin with? Uh, mm. If I if I'm looking at, it, I mean, it's basically it's a, like one of the large. It's like the 40th largest country, bigger, slightly bigger than France, and it's about the size of Texas. So we're looking at a good sized country that's rather mountainous. So I guess the question would be is. How does that geography affect, you know, know, how these people live or don't live? You know, certainly there's no real, you know, I'm looking at, you know, you look at a map and you don't really see, you know, 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 any kind of, you know, rivers or anything close to water that would be a 
foundation for, let's say, the beginning of a civilization, but it's rather hilly, whether it's mountainous. You know, how does that? You know, how does the geography play into it? Uh, and I'll start with you, uh, JD. The geography is just one piece of that. You're exactly right. You're dealing with uh, a mountainous, very mountainous north and east, and then you go into places like host province, okay, where uh, the tribal alignment, kin alignment, kinship alignment goes valley, you know, small creek valley, okay. By small creek valley, you go up over the next ridge line at you know five, six, seven thousand feet prominence. You're in a totally different kin relationship, and they have not gotten along with each other for a long time. I was uh, one time in 2011, we were way, 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 way up there in Host Province, and I kept asking the question. Uh, Torgundi or Spingundi, the company commanders looking at me like, what is this question you're asking? And, and, the, inter- and the interpreter translator barely got where I was going with it, too. The Gundi system goes back to Zoroastrian times, okay, mm. whether you were a member of the White League or the Black mm. League. And they are still fighting each other over that stuff and that alignment. And so I'm telling the company commanders, like, you, we can map this by the old Gundi system. I mean, you have to go back and, you know, read a book like, you know, written by Mont Stuart Elphinstone, you know, History of the Kingdom of Kabul, written in like, you know, yes. 1811, yes. 1810, okay? Oh, and you talk so about fascinating. the Gundi system. And this stuff's still going on. It's like, yeah, that's why they're oh, not killing God. each other over timber stands and trees and resources. And you're trying to tamp down something that's been going on. Since the Zoroastrian era, it, it, right. it ain't gonna make it happen. Sorry. Right. Okay. <laughs> you're just you're, use the biblical biblical analogy. They look at you like this little mist that comes and goes. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, this is before Alexander stuff going on here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And. And that's reality. Okay. Now, there's a lot of Afghans who are very, you know, very cosmopolitan, very modern, and they want to be a modern Western country. Okay, but there's a lot of Afghans who are just totally content with the way things are right now and do not want it to change at all. Okay. Hello, Sorry, you I have a question. May I, ask, may I ask a question? I have a question. I want to address on okay. um, I want to address what is the difference between when they're speaking about the Afghan government currently trying to maintain the rule of what's going on, okay, and then what they're talking about, like the insurgents within that government taking over and, like, causing the bombing that just happened, like, three hours ago. So my way of, having, of, of thinking about this, um, comes down. It's a it's a very non-Western way of thinking about it. It captures what's really going on. So it's a feudal country, right? Right. And in a feudal country, the king is the government. The government's the king, right? Think back to mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you know Europe. So you're going to understand this term, revenue mm-hmm. harvesting, right? The uh, mm-hmm. king sold the sold the rights to administer and collect the taxes in this area. As long as you kicked mm-hmm. up your, your, your quota to the king, everything was good. The king's treasury is the country's treasury, okay? They're all one sure. and the same. That's still, kind, that's still very deep into their culture in many ways. Mm-hmm. 
And so when you look at what you have is two competing factions. You could almost even think of them to a modern mind might understand them better as two competing criminal enterprises who just want to have the authority to collect the taxes and administer these areas and make the spoils off of it. One of them is called the government of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, and one of them is called the Taliban or whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that's what their fight is over is who's going to be able to collect the taxes and administer the government and administer justice and run the state and make the money. That's what the fight is really over when we get right down to it. And to address Tom's point, yes, there are no ports, but there is a ring route. And for the longest time, you know, the Silk Road it was an important transit point along the Silk Road. That went oh, away yeah. once we went into sailing, but it suddenly became relevant again uh, in the you know, in the 70s and 80s when you could run when you could tr- shipping truck by truck up from uh, the port in Karachi uh, all the way up into uh, for, the former Soviet states on the Ring Road, and the Taliban performing the service of Genghis Khan did on the uh, Silk Road harmonized mm-hmm. the taxes. Pay one toll there at the gate. You go all the way through. Up to this long pass. One toll all the way. You're secure and protected. Um, that's why the ISI was totally into backing the Taliban. But when you think of it in the lens of we're looking at two competing factions who want to control the government uh, and understand that you know, the, you know, the gangsters are the government, the government is the mafia – who's going to control the institutions, the whole thing becomes clarified as to what the situation is. Yeah, let's follow up on that. Uh, uh, after the, We're going to take a quick break. This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me. I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in the six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger is too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. You can listen to the Donaldson Files and other great shows on the Bachelor News Radio Network on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And you and you can go on the show. you got you know, all of our shows there. You also have a schedule of our show, for example. You can listen to this show every day, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Central, as well as 4 p.m. Eastern and 3 p.m. Uh, Central. And don't forget, we're also on StreamYard.com, TuneIn, iTunes, and other uh, streaming networks as well. So the Donaldson file is everywhere on the Internet. And if you want to learn more about how you can advertise, we've got some special advertising rates coming up. 
Uh, just simply contact labachelor40 at gmail.com, and the sales staff will be there to give you the service you want and need. This is the Donaldson Files, back with J.D. Johannes and Lauren By. All right. Okay, so basically, okay, that's a good uh, – uh, you've mentioned that to me uh, numerous times, you know, how to look at the government. And I think that's a, you know, kind of a you know, way for us Americans maybe to kind of view it in a different perspective. Uh, Lauren, do you, you have any additional thoughts? I do have another question. I'm always asking questions. I have another question. And Tom, of course, answer. If you have any answer, please type in here. Um, as far so let's imagine for a second we have these two, say, um, two factioning governments vying for control, okay? Um, let us imagine that um, one is, for all purposes that an American would understand, um, one is more of a terrorist organization, um, um, like, for instance, I'm, I'm referencing, like, breaking news, okay? So the last few hours, there was a bombing, okay? Um, and, you know, basically terrorizing people that are just having, you know, their normal everyday life, you know, people that are going to work every day, you know, trying to do the right thing, okay? So that's not the government that is recognized worldwide that's not that's not that am i correct in assuming that that's that's the fraction that's trying to take over because people should not be living with you know you know guns going off and bombs going off and being terrorized yeah. sure that's my, I, I agree so, i agree okay all right that's number that's number one part of my question and you can answer the second part so number two, whomever is going to take over, I want to know for the rest of our discussion how that's going to affect the way their progress, patience, as far as women's rights, as far as the, their status, future in the eyes of the rest of the world. That's my concern. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead. Go. The Taliban is going to be absolutely terrible for women who would prefer to have a more Western-developed uh, situation. Obviously, and they're going to be. T- it's going to. Yeah, you know, you're going to be back to you know the 90s, okay? Or which actually, you know, let's not, I would say the 90s. Let's go back to uh, the traditional Afghan uh, Islamic way. And I say that as Afghan Islamic way because it is, you know, there's many different variations within the Islamic world, okay? Many variations. But the traditional uh, Afghan Islamic way, uh, women will not go to school. They will marry very young. They will not be independent. They will not have a future for them. That's the way it will be if the Taliban prevails. Um <clears throat> And as here again, I point out, okay, uh, there, uh, there's a lot of women who want to, in a lot of Afghans who want to be Western, who want to move forward into a democracy, into a, you know, you know, you know develop, be, being, trying to become a developing nation. Obviously, there's a lot who don't, because if the people who really wanted to become less, you know, developed, more modern, move into being a, a developing nation, there's an overwhelming mass majority. They could crush the Taliban just in sheer mass with sticks. Okay. Right. Um, 
but they don't. It's like we saw this. You know, it was like you know, you know, let's go back to when uh, the former Soviet satellite states in in West Eastern Europe were falling. You know, Ceausescu's mm-hmm. out there giving the speech, right? And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, there's a million of us, and there's really only a couple thousand of you. <laughs> right. And then they just did it with sticks. Okay. Uh, same thing in, in you know Egypt. Same thing in Libya. Okay. So there's not the uh, the big mass there, and there's a lot of different psychological reasons for that. But Elon, you're exactly correct. It is going mm-hmm. to be a reversion back to the traditional Afghan uh, Islamic way, and that is from our Western perspective, and many women in Afghanistan a terrible fate. Oh no. Well, let me let me let me ask the question this way, okay? That's a kind of a dreary wake, and obviously we're at this point where, you know, we're pretty much out of the game as far as influence. But you make, but the point you kind of make an interesting point. There are enough people on the western side, or let's say people who want to be more western, that outnumber the Taliban. But at this point. Uh, they have not yet organized in such a fashion. Is there a, is there a future which you can see that you know people just say that eventually you see that civil war between the Taliban and the other side of the equation that you just mentioned? Yeah, and that's what it always takes. It really does take a mass people who want to move in a certain direction. To, to bring these changes about, you know, the, you know, as, as Henrik says, I pulled out the book, uh, you know, the weird book by Professor Henrik, and he has this great line. It's just so absolutely true. It's you know, page 45 of the hardback edition. Let me read it real quick. The much heralded ideals of Western civilization, like human rights, liberty, representative democracy, and science, aren't monuments to pure reason or logic, as so many assume. People didn't suddenly become rational during the Enlightenment of the 17th and 18th centuries and then invent the modern world. Instead, these institutions represent cumulative cultural products born from a particular cultural psychology that trace their origins back over centuries. Yeah. For a cascade of causal chains that were, well, let's face it, were kind of accidental, okay? That's mm-hmm. not intentional at all. You know, causal mm-hmm. chains involving wars, markets, monks, okay, marriage mm-hmm. prohibitions, family prescriptions, huge cultural change. Now, a country can make a leap forward, but they have to really all decide. There has to be a big mass of that decision. And, and the two common ones that we can point out, one is you know, much more well-known and documented, like I said, uh, was Japan in mm-hmm. the uh, mid to late 19th century turned on a dime from a very closed off, very traditional to Japan culture, mm-hmm. very still feudal, monarchical, and turned on a dime into a industrialized powerhouse that was able to, you know, really kick the living daylights out of Russia and become a colonial power in the region. But they, there was a serious decision of mass among the people to do that. Uh, another one, not as clear, but still a good example, South Korea. That's went, went from a very... I went from South a very, Koreans, I agree with you. Yeah. You know, they went from a very rural, you know, feudal, undeveloped mm-hmm. country, but there was a mass saying, nope, 
we're doing this thing differently now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can happen, but absent that mass. And you'd hear this over, over and over again, mainly among the special forces types, would say, we can't want it more than they do. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, the situation yeah. we'd kind of gotten ourselves into is, you know, why don't you guys want to be like us? <laughs> and some of them, you know, a lot of the Afghans are going, we do, we do, we're working with you, and I speak English, and I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to join the military. I'm going to become an officer. I'm going to be a police officer. I'm going to work in the government. I'm going to do what I can to do this. But that mass and commitment without that being there, without the culture truly ready for it, we're back to what Mikhail Kapitza was talking about to Yuri and Dropoff in the Polish mm-hmm. Bureau in 1979. Yeah, the soldiers are different. But the mountains and the culture are the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me ask you. Yeah, let me kind of follow up with a quick question because, okay, you look at Japan. Uh, I mean, you had one event that, you know, that could have crystallized. It seems to me, is there an event that could cause this thing to go rolling? Because, in the case of Japan, you had the Commodore Perry opening up. You know, the United States just saying, "Okay, we're here. Open up." Uh, and you had that event as the driving force. And certainly in the case of South Korea, you had the Korean War, where all of a sudden, you know, you know, the, you had two, you know, you had two separate entities, but you had a major war, which, you know, millions of uh, Koreans died in, you know, and so obviously you have a totally different mindset. I mean, these are two events, one very violent, one you know, not, you know, basically the West knocking on the door and said, "We're here." You know, now it's time for you to join us type of deal. You have two events. These are events that crystallized it. Uh, would that, would, is that, and are we at a point where, you know, what kind of event would it have to be in Afghanistan to produce that kind of result? Because obviously the war, the, the Afghan war didn't do it. Uh, you know, uh, the Soviet. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Our, our 20 plus year engagement didn't do it. The Soviet didn't do it. The British didn't do it, and the Greco-Bacterians didn't do it. The last big cultural revolution in Afghanistan was the Islamic invasion. That's the last one that stuck, Uh, because because in many ways, the culture was kind of ready for Islam. But remember, before it was Islamic, Afghanistan's also been Buddhist, uh, Hindu, Zoroastrian, you know, throughout the history of it. Some of the uh, but the last one to stick was Islam, the Islamic invasions. Um, I don't know. I, um, yeah. I like to make an <laughs> observation here based on what both of you have just said. Um, you, you mentioned something about, you know, what, what happened with South Korea as far as the war. Yeah, yes, of course, the, the Korean War was was a pivotal event. But I don't believe, and most South Koreans don't believe, that the Korean War is what has brought them in to their highly evolved and very cosmopolitan country that they're at right now. They don't believe that. They, if you speak to a South Korean person, they will tell you that they believe that what caused their evolution, and that's their word for it, evolution, was their failure in the 60s and 70s, 80s economically, and the shame they felt in not being able to find a place on the world stage. And so I'm speak, this speaks to what J- 
J.D. just said, as far as a culture must reach its own growth period, and it can't be forced by any other country or or even by a small group within that country. So sometimes, and I can't believe I'm going to say this right now, sometimes what may, may even do this is for everyone to leave them on their own and let them find their purpose, let them find what they need to do for themselves. And I'm, I'm, the last thing I, I want is for people to, to suffer more than they're suffering. But sometimes we all know the old saying, you know, it has, to get, it has to get really bad before it gets better. But people have to know what they're fighting for. You know, they have to know what they're fighting for. South Korea, that, and, we, and we all know this, they, they fought for their democracy with one corrupt leader after another. I'm talking in, in modern times. Yeah. They kept electing one president after another. And it was one corrupt person after another. And it was the people who demonstrated to bring the, those presidents down and put them in prison. So it's not really outside influences at times. It has to be the people themselves that find they're yeah, yeah, as, as a whole. Yeah. Well, I want you, let's, we're going to follow up on that thought uh, with Lauren and uh, J.D. This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Tom Donson back here with the Donson Files. Don't forget, if you're interested in advertising with on the Bachelor News Radio Network and be a sponsor of the Donaldson Files, and just email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com, labachelor40 at gmail.com. And don't forget, uh, you can listen to this show twice a day on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. We're also on steamyard.com. In tune, tune in. And, and spot five and anchor. Uh, and so, and, and so, yeah. So that's uh, the way you can listen to the show. And let's uh, back to the discussion. All right. You, 
Like, I'm going to follow you. You make a good point because certainly when we look at Korea, it, you know, basically the people went to the street. It was at the end of the 80s. If I, and, I, and I do remember that. Was, you know, they're the ones who went to the street and said, okay, we've had enough of this crap. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, yeah. It basically, as uh, you know, as uh, JD just said, you know, there was a hell of a lot more sticks uh, being exercised. Uh, and and I guess here's the question I'm going to throw back to both of you because obviously, you know, we talk about the concept of nation building and looking at countries, and and the question comes into play is, is it the, first of all. What are the is there a precondition or is nation building just doomed to fail, or is there certain preconditions? Certainly, for example, after World War II, you know the United States involvement in Western Europe certainly, uh, you know, and us you know staying involved in Western Europe certainly led to the where Europe is today. Uh, and but yeah, so I guess my question is: is there a pre? Is there anything that you would sit back and say, okay, if we're going to, quote, unquote, stay in the country to help build it back up, these, there are certain criteria that have to be met or is nation building kind of a, uh, a kind of a fool's errand? And in the end, it's up to those individuals, those people in that country to make that, their own decision where they want to go. And I'll start with you first, J.D. Man, this is going to sound <laughs> very Western, okay? Um because we only know we we you know the West probably only knows how to build something the Western way, okay? Uh, you know how to be like us, and you would might, and I'm going to take the cue here that I've been kind of pounding on this theme over and over again. Um, you know, first let's pause here. Okay, building back Europe, well, that wasn't wasn't a big leap because it was truly just physical infrastructure. No cultural changes needed for the most part. Why? Because. They're already Western edgy. The cultural, mm-hmm. the culture was the same. Okay, we we came, you know, the vast majority of Americans came from Europe. Okay, uh, that is a, you know, a fact. So it wasn't like we were having to, you know, it wasn't like this big. It wasn't a cultural lift. It wasn't a cultural evolution that needed to take place. There were no new institutions that needed to be developed. It was just it was truly just roads, bridges, factories, buildings that had been destroyed in the war. Now. We could go, then we have a modern situation here right now. The Biden administration uh, looking at us like, okay, we've got Central America, we've got a lot of migrants coming in from Central America. One of their proposals is, okay, maybe we should do some nation building, for lack of a better term, infrastructure building in Central America. And the question then becomes culturally, are they ready to handle a trillion dollars effectively and efficiently? Do they have those types of cultural systems in place where the money won't get stolen, where you know you put money into it and a factory does get built and the factory runs, where the highways do get built and repaired? And absent those that cultural capital, that reliability, uh, that you know, lack of a better terms, you know, impersonal honesty, okay? You can throw a pile of money at something and have absolutely zero result. I mean, look how much money we threw into Afghanistan. Uh, so if, if a country is not ready for it, 
you know, we can't come in with our expertise. And so, well, do it like us. And they're like, no, we're not you. This isn't how we do things. They just, they just look at us like, well, strange. They look at us like we're weird because to them, we are weird. And trying to impose our systems on them is not going to work. Uh, the better option might be, you know, instead of throwing money at the option, if you really wanted to try something innovative, uh, say, hey, you know, this would be a, uh, if you've got a kind of business, you know, white manufacturing, that, you know, maybe if you're already doing something in China, maybe, you know, would you be interested in moving it to uh, Honduras, Guatemala, kind of thing. That might actually be a slightly better approach than trying to nation build that terrible situation the Central Americans are in right now in the triangle down there, who are not bad people, are not horrible people, they're good people, okay? Afghans are, uh, Afghans are wonderful people. They're the kindest, most hospitable people who saved my life many, my life many times. But, you know, it's the cultural revolution is not ready, the country is not ready, and when the, the mass has decided, you're not ready. We can look at Central America and say, you know, when they've had enough of Cali 18 and MS-13, sticks. <laughs> it will beat them all to death. It will solve the extortion problems down there. So I hey, Lord, think we can thought. do these nation buildings for very well. Well, I mean, right. yeah, what? I agree with you. I mean, during World War II is different. I mean, we were all predominantly most Americans came from Europe, so it, it wasn't like a stretch to, and we were all part of. You know, at that point, they were establishing. You know, um, world organizations. So it, it seemed like the most logical thing to do. But um, I, I just think that you know, there's other ways to do it. We don't have to impose ourselves on other people. Mm-hmm. But there's also a question at this point. Um, at this point, I think I think I can, I would like people's attention to be placed on on keeping an open mind when we have people that we are bringing to the United States um, that we've given visas to from Afghanistan, um, the interpreters and their families. I would ask anyone that's listening right now to keep open mind um, and minds about this not to have um, any type of preconceived um, racial biases, um, ethnic biases. I want them to understand that these interpreters and their families, they are literally like running for their lives. They have supported um, our military personnel for a number of years. They, and many times, as J.D. just said, they, they have given their lives and their families' lives to protect our, our families. Um, your freedom is because we have military for a number of years in other parts of the world because of interpreters and their family. Um, there was, I believe, 700 interpreters were um, arrived in Virginia, and they're expected an additional 2,500 altogether with their families that will eventually come. But these were people whose visas had been taken years for clearance. Um, and now Biden has just signed where um, there'll be an emergency clearance to get them to um, another country to get people out of Afghanistan to safety. And then it's going to take a number of, oh, I don't know how long it's going to take, months, if not a year, before they get all the necessary paperwork done 
um, and they're clear well enough to get to the United States eventually. But, you know, we need to get past this idea that if you don't look like you're an American, which, by the way, if I have to remind anybody, none of us are really American, okay? <laughs> I'm making that Absolutely. point, okay? Absolutely. None of us are. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. Well, We're me, not. Yeah, let me – I want to follow up on that because to me it's, it's – you're absolutely correct. I'll take it even a step further. It is a matter of national honor that oh, we put – Oh, I love the, you. I think I just because heard it. Because it is. I love you. Right. It is, is a matter of national honor that yeah. we back up those people who stood with Marines, stood with soldiers, stood with the Air Force, put their neck and their family on the line. Because we said we were going to back them up, and we got to, we must honor that commitment to them, or we Aww. will never yeah. get that kind of backing ever again. That's Beautiful. the fact that you guys are talking yeah. about there. Absolutely. I mean, as I said, I mean, this to me, this is this is a non-brainer, regardless of affiliation or anything else. These are people who put their lives on the line for us, and it's a national honor to allow them not to come in. Would be a stain of dishonor of this country. I mean, it's just, it's just, this is not. This to me is a no-brainer, in my view. It's not. It's just strictly a no-brainer. Uh, you know, and and this paperwork. I would just simply say, hey, forget the paperwork, dudes. Here it is. It says yes, you're coming. We're taking you in right now. Okay. And this We're not gonna... is so incredibly easy. Okay. So, yeah. what units did you work with? Give us some names of some uh, battalion, company, and brigade commanders, regimental commanders. All right. Hey, do you know this guy? Yeah, he was awesome. Boom, you're in. Oh. <laughs> See, there yeah, you that's go. not hard. That's not hard. Is, yeah, yeah. This is this this is another category. This is yeah. This is not rocket science. And sometimes yeah. we you know we we either make it a rocket science or a bureaucratic morose. But mm-hmm. this is not rocket science. This is a case of national and, and JD summed it up. Hey, you you ask certain questions, they give you the right answer. Come on in, come back, come in. Yeah. Yeah. What, you know, we'll what, 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 what units did you work with, and what regions? Like, okay, let's go to this commanders. You remember this guy? Yeah, he's awesome. Boom, they're in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is not hard. It's absolutely not hard. And I, I guess uh, I, I guess uh, maybe in the future, you know, in the uh, I guess uh, uh, we don't really have a lot of time, but I'm going to kind of briefly. Uh, you, know, you mentioned the Silk Road, and and certainly in the matter of geopolitical side of the equation, uh, you know, China is now going to be put into Afghanistan. And I guess my question I'm going to throw back to you, uh, JD: Are they dumb enough to put in the troops? Or are they simply going to say, whoever is in the who's ever in the government will burn? We'll give you all the money you need. Just give us your minerals, and we'll be happy. I think I think the Chinese are going to do a much better job than any other country has done of, of working with the culture, not against the culture. I remember one time I got I, – I just got you – know, you know, not kicked out of the country, basically kicked out of the project – um, we're trying to win some elections, you know, and get some good people elected. I'm like, well, you know, it's done in this country. We need to be, you know, it's, it's a 
ballot box stuff. And, you know, it's a test of organizational strength. Can you organize your precincts and your people to get, you know, enough real voters out and, you know, make sure everybody votes several times and really pull this thing off? You know, your organizational strength, the mass, <laughs> to win a fraudulent election because that's how it's done here. And I said, it's like, yeah, why are we worried about bribery? You know, it's like I call it an expedite fee. As long as everybody else, you know, in line gets served legally and properly, hey, pay a few extra bucks. That's an expedite fee. Work with the culture, not against the culture. And, yeah, you know, I just, there's, you know, the uh, Harvard Kennedy School of Government crowd did not appreciate that one little bit. Okay. But I think the Chinese are going to work with the culture. Is the way is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. That's me because I, I, I mean the thing is, I mean the, you know, like you say, it comes down to, and you guys summed it up very nicely. This, we are limited to what we can do if the people themselves don't want it or are not ready for it. It's one thing to clear out the vipers. It's another thing to rebuild a, a country in the image when they're not prepared to do so. Yeah. So what I'm going to do here, we got about three minutes left. So first of all, uh, Lauren, if you got any projects or anything you want to talk about for the next minute or so, uh, go right ahead. Uh, this just may be your chance to have it. I'm still, I'm still working on things and just waiting until I can get to myself to um, Scotland in October. So and you it's nice yeah, like meeting. The, JD, it's nice meeting you. Nice meeting you. Absolutely. And Oh, thank you. Yeah. And Tom, thank you for bringing up this topic tonight. It was it was a pleasure. I appreciated it. Well, I think so. You, you, I'm gonna put you like I say. You kind of, you put the idea in the head, and you kind of send me all these uh, uh, various <laughs> tweeters, uh, and, and so we have all this. And, and, and like I say, you know, in the case of you know, like I say, JD and I, yeah, I tell you too, Jay, you've been working with our foundation since what uh, 2006 yeah. uh, with the late Richard Nadler. And you know, yeah. basically, you and me have been working full time. I'm thinking 2013. Yeah, yeah, you know, we kind of yeah, and, you know, and been... Rich, you know, and and Rich, he found me when I was working in Iraq and saw what I was doing, and you know, it's like, this is some interesting stuff. I want to meet this guy. Who's this guy just running around the wars with a camera? <laughs> yeah, and. Yeah, like I say, and again, I'm going to tell the rest of my audience because, again, I do have a bias with J.D. J.D. is one of the sharpest political minds that nobody knows about. I like to keep it a secret, so not too many people are. <laughs> well, you should be on here more because I really enjoyed this. I, I really did. Uh, yeah. I, I prefer to work more in the financial services sector where I'm not allowed to talk about things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, well, yeah. And so, I guess to summarize very quickly is that I mean, there's a limit to what we can do. Uh, there's a history you have to look at, the culture you have to look at, and and I think I, I love to back that both of you did a great job on this show tonight. I want to thank you very much. This is Tom Donaldson here from the Donaldson Files saying good night. And don't forget tomorrow night we'll have another great show uh, with updates on the coronavirus with Kevin Roach and John Pellin.
Hey, we want to welcome everyone to another episode of You and the Law podcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're glad that everybody is able to tune in and uh, listen to the show uh, this afternoon. And uh, so we've got a an exciting, a, a great topic to uh, to talk with you all about, and uh, it's going to involve police reform. Uh, which is a hot topic uh, across the nation. So me and my co-host, who goes by the name of T-Swag, is going to see how we can talk about this topic of police reform, or should we be talking about police officer reform? So T-Swag, how you doing? What's going on, Brother Virgil? How you doing, man? I'm doing good to the listening audience. Hey, how y'all doing? You know, Virgil, man, I, I will. I'm gonna say. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say this on this topic, man. This, this is a really good topic. Um, yes, it is. The. You know, I, I want to say this again, and I, and I say this on a regular basis. The re, the reform has been put in place. The reform is there. Uh, what we're talking about is individual officers uh, getting out of control or not being held accountable. It's just like the training is available, the escalate, de-escalation training, procedural justice training, uh, less lethal training, uh, psychological training, all of that's there. The, the question is how do, we, how do we miss that, and how do, we, how do these individual officers keep sliding through or squeaking through the, the the system, you know, because the reform mm-hmm. is there. The reform, the process is there. It's it's a it's a clear yeah. process. But how do you have the majority of the officers following the process, the majority of the departments following the process, but you have that small percentage, less than less than two percent, if that, that aren't following the process for some reason. Exactly. Well, and you know, Keith, you know. One of the things that I would like to discuss is the, you know, after the George Floyd incident, you you would seem to believe that or think that police officers, after watching this video over and over again, are very mindful of their surroundings, and they should be mindful of the citizens that they are encountering and dealing with on a day-to-day basis. There was an incident that happened in Atlanta that I wish we had. There's a video of it. Um, a citizen recorded it on their, their cell phone. I wish we had some audio, but there's not any audio to this video of, of this incident. Very disturbing, Keith. Very disturbing, especially after George Floyd. And it's even more disturbing, and and I don't want people to think, well, you know, what it it doesn't make any difference, Keith. But these were black police officers dealing with a black homeless woman, who was dealing once again with a mental health crisis. And to see this, two black male police officers and one black female police officer. This lady is, is already handcuffed. She is face down on the ground. And to see this man who probably is standing some 6'2", 
calls off and kicks her in her in her in her face, Keith. And the in the female police officer just stands there and actually does nothing. There was no reason to kick this woman, but he did. And so you you go back, you ask yourself, okay, officers got body worn cameras. All these reforms have been put in place, but you still have officers who are, for whatever reason, treating people the way that they treat them. And I think that's why people are so frustrated with the policing system. Well, Virgil, there's one you didn't even bring up, and I don't even know if you're aware of it. Uh, There was one that happened in Dallas. Uh, There was an African-American officer that was working off-duty, a SWAT officer who has two pending IE investigations regarding um, excessive force. And he, this person was intoxicated. And Virgil, and to the listeners, he he beat this man like he was an MMA fighter. And it was so bad. I mean, he stood over this guy, and he was extending those punches. And it was so bad that other officers had to come in and intervene, de-escalate and pull him off of this and even it's it's so bad, even the union said, thank goodness those other officers were there and were there to escalate and pull him off. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, 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 it comes back to what's really going on, man. You know, why such yeah. why such anger and such tactics that aren't taught? You know, were we missing? You know, I mean, was there something that could have been caught in the psychological I mean, is there something early intervention could have taken care of? I mean, if, if he's if he's involved in in excessive force incidents, why not take him off those part-time jobs? Because this was an off-duty job. So why not take yeah. him off those jobs until those investigations are complete? I think there's just so many different unknown questions. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it, it, that's why so many people, Keith, continue to ask this question. What's wrong with with police officers uh as you stated the the reforms the the policing reforms are in place and have been been in place and throughout the show we're going to go back and look at some things that took place in 1960 in the 60s that are the same similar things that are taking place in 2021 some you know almost 60 years ago I mean, 50 years ago, and so um, it, it is. It it and again, I think that the, the frustration, especially on the 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 not just the black community, but everybody is, is frustrated when you see videos like this uh, in Atlanta, and you hear about incidents like what took place in Dallas, and, and so many other incidents, Keith. Well. You know, Virgil, I, I will tell you, the Kerner Commission was very clear, uh, and I've talked about it before. The Kerner Commission was very yes. clear in 1967 regarding the excessive force uh, used by police against communities of color. So so this has been a known fact. This is nothing new. This yeah. has been a known fact for 50-some years. So, you know, that's, that's, that's interesting, too. So this is not new. It's, it's not. Yeah, it is. But I mean, man, it's it's, not. In, in 2021, with all the body cameras and, and, and uh, cell phone cameras, I mean to um, just beat somebody down. 
<laughs> you know, beat somebody down and and as if they they don't you know, you don't respect them or like they're that you're dehumanizing them by beating them down just because you can or you think it's right at that at that at that point, but it's just it's just wrong. Exactly. Exactly. Well, hey Keith, I want to remind our listeners that, you know, you're you're listening to the show live. If you have a comment or uh, would like to come on air, uh, please let the uh, producer know that you've got a question that you would like to, to come on air and, and talk with us. Or if you would like to uh, leave uh, your comments in the chat room, the chat room is open uh, on blogtalkradio.com backslash L.A. Bachelor, and that's blogtalkradio.com backslash L.A. Bachelor, uh, and go into the chat room live as we are, are talking about uh, the, the the nationwide debate over police reform. And, you know, my question that I posed uh, on our uh, Facebook page, uh, should we be talking about, we're talking about police reform, but should we be talking about police officer reform, how is that is are they one of the same? Are they two separate uh things that, that we should be that the law enforcement industry should be talking about is how do you reform the police office? Because Keith, as you know, we've always heard the the term there's a few bad apples. So Keith, we're gonna take this uh coming up on our first break, we're gonna take this break and when we come back we're gonna get back into the conversation of of uh police reform versus police officer reform, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Now you can increase your yields by using Conklin's Guardian Slow-Release Nitrogen Additive. Guardian holds your nitrogen in the root zone where it's needed over a longer period of time. That, in return, can reduce your nitrogen rates. That saves you money. And whether you want it in a dry or liquid formula, Guardian helps in reducing groundwater contamination, too. So save your money and be a good steward all at the same time by using Conklin's Guardian. To the You and the Law broadcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network. It's six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. The number to get in touch with us. Uh, also, chat room is open, so you can call or chat and make your voice heard. Uh, and you can listen live to the show at the Bachelor News 
Radio, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. And Keith and, and Chief uh, Humphrey, um, I think one of the questions that comes in is that whether it's a few bad apples or police reform, I think uh, places of color at the end of the day um, really don't care which one it is. It, it's more or less about it stopping. And so not, you know, if you fix the bad apples or you fix the reform, either way, they, they're feeling they want want the um, their heads not being banged in too much uh, anymore um, at this point. So um, that's that's my initial thoughts. Well, you know, L.A., I think, you know, it is, I think we're past the time of the, conver- you know, of how do we fix uh, policing. And the, uh, because as we just discussed before the break, the, um, you know, back in 19, in the 60s, under uh, uh, President Lyndon Johnson, who set up a commission to explore the problems, and uh, proposed solutions. And so under his commission on law enforcement and administration of justice, uh, they looked at it, it, it looked far beyond policing. Uh, they looked at, uh, they examined the, the police, they examined prosecution, they examined uh, the defense, they examined the courts and corrections. And so, you know, here we are, you, you, you look at, today uh why are we still dealing with those same problems that were were discussed back in the 60s and so well, i will tell you, know, you i will i will i, I will tell you this uh i will tell you this la and and uh and virgil you know i think i i feel at a loss and i feel at a loss because being a police chief uh, and being in law enforcement 33 years, I, it, it just appears that this is a topic that I cannot grasp, you know, wrap my hands around because I mm-hmm. don't know why. You know, you, you mm-hmm. the, the, the training is there. The training, the de-escalation, the emotional intelligence training, how many people have to stand on top of a platform and talk about police reform and talk about officer's behavior, how many videos have to be shown, how many people have to be sentenced for, uh, how many officers have to be sentenced to state penitentiary time and federal time for for doing this? What happens? Does an officer black out? Does an officer forget? Because let me tell you this, if you're at the point where you black out, then that's a medical issue, and then you need to go back and determine if somebody needs to be a police officer. If a person thinks they can do it and get away with it, that's another problem that we've got to deal with. I don't know why it keeps happening. It's frustrating yeah. to me as a police chief, as a citizen, that this continues to happen. So we're at a point we can't defend. We, we can defend that there's, there's over a million police officers in the nation, over 18,000 police departments in the, in the U.S. alone. And we can continue to say that less than 1% of these people are doing that. That's not what, that, that doesn't matter to the communities. It doesn't matter to the communities no. of color. 
because exactly. when we talk about reform, when we talk about reform for a police department, that one police officer that that does something to violate somebody, they represent that police department. They represent law enforcement. There's no getting around that. So we've got to continue to fight for how do we stop this? How do we how do yeah. we make it? How do we how do we how do we? I don't like to say punitive. But how do we send the message that this won't be tolerated? I, I, I don't know. Exactly. And that's the frustrating yeah. part of it. I don't know. We can we can figure out how to keep the community safe, but we can't we can't figure out how to stop officers from running rampant in communities. That's the frustrating exactly. part about it. Yeah. Well, and Keith, you know, just to look at what took place in Minneapolis. Before George Floyd was was murdered, in in 2016, the department uh, adopted a duty-to-intervene policy, which required officers to to step in when when they uh, thought a fellow officer was using unjustified force. But so you have a policy that's implemented in 2016. It's a... that you can look at that and say, okay, well, the initiative to to do some some reform within the Minneapolis Police Department. Well, here in 2020, uh, officer, former Officer Chauvin is uses his knee as a neck restraint for over nine minutes, and he kills George Floyd with three other officers, two to three other officers around him. So these officers knew about this policy of intervene, but they failed to intervene. So even when you have reforms and you have policies in place for de-escalation, implicit bias, all these things are already in place, but you got officers who are failing to act upon those policies. Now, which we just discussed, you got the officers in Dallas who actually did, you know, intervene to stop this officer. So I think that's why, and again, Keith, we got over, you know, 18,000 police departments. So that means that there's 18,000 different types of policies and reforms that every agency has. There's, There's not a national standardized policy that every agency follows. Can I just say this too? If if the policies are in place and, and, you know, you guys know obviously these policies are in place, then what? Who enforces it? Why is it not being enforced? I mean, that that's the thing. If it's on the books, why is it not happening in the agency? Because I can tell you, I can tell you, I can tell you why they only set standards of policies, and they're not set standards. They're guidelines that police departments that want to be accredited must follow in order to be accredited. And so you can have those policies, L.A., good question. And you can train and you can train and you can train on those policies and you can make that part of the academy. You can make that part of field training. You can make that part of in-service. But if you have individuals that don't think the policies apply to them or they feel as though 
nobody's going to tell or, or they think they can justify their actions. That's where the problem is. There are some departments that don't have policies. I mean, when I when I first transferred over to uh, Oklahoma, and we had to go through a mandatory uh, new chiefs program, and we had a guy in that program that was some from some small town, and he basically said, "Damn policy, we don't need policy. Yeah. If somebody mm-hmm. comes through my town and does the right thing, we're gonna teach them what the police really are supposed to do." I mean, you have that mindset, but policies are out there. I, I will tell you to the listeners, I would ask you to. Look up Lexipol, L-E-X-I-P-O-L. It's a it's a policy management program, uh, and some states have even purchased that program for smaller departments. And exactly it, that the it was it was uh, created by Gordon Graham, who himself was one of the original California Highway Patrolmen, so the original chips. He then went to law school, and his main focus is risk management, trying Mm -hmm. to get police executives to understand when you don't have these policies in place, when you don't hold people accountable, you don't have the early intervention programs, you don't have the wellness programs, you don't have checks and balances, then you you are... violating risk management. You're not managing risk. You you are allowing liabilities. So there are, there are plans out there. But, L.A., I don't know. I think until you start hitting people in their pockets, and what I mean by that, you know, you hate to say you want the, the federal government to run states, but I think when you start saying you've got – let me tell you this. They have, they have grants tied to VEST. And in order for departments to get that money, you have to have a policy in place that mandates that officers wear vests. If you don't have that policy, you don't even qualify for that vest, for that for those grants. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. when you start doing stuff like that, that if you don't have policy, these policies in place, you can't get federal funding. You can't get state funding. Or the state is going to take you over. And make sure you do this. So I think those, I think we're gonna have to be. I think they're gonna have to put some teeth in some of this stuff. But, but you uh, know, I got four people, uh, uh, Chief Green. Four people: Jason, Terry, Myra, and Nancy. All said the same thing that it it seems to be uh, on the unions. Like if you don't have the policies, and if if they they heard Chief Humphrey said it was hard to get rid of these guys and gals. Um, then they fire them. They 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 keep them in place. We know the the sheriff last week. You guys talked about that. Uh, Chief Humphrey is like saying, "Well, good riddance, but if you let him stay around, he's gonna this. He could be a problem, and maybe he doesn't resign." So everybody that's uh, chatting and emailing is saying that it sounds like the reform has to come with the unions, and you guys have talked about the unions. And not only that, I'll add to uh, uh, it, Chief Green that if you don't have the policies because of the unions and the unions control everything, then, and, and you know, as Chief Humphrey just said that, you know, you know, if, if you don't have policies, you don't get the, 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 um, the, the funding, then there's a disconnect between, you know, local agencies and the federal mandate. And that seems yeah. to be a big part of it as well. Yeah, and and I'll say this before we before we go to break, LA is that the the unions are part of the the problem, uh, whether they're at the front of the problem or at the end of the problem. But 
you know, I'll say that you can't you can't pass all these reforms and not address some of the underlying issues that prevent those reforms uh, from having their intended impact. So, and and that goes back to having the conversation about the the power struggle between the police unions uh, and police management and, and the cities. So, but each agency has its own uh, culture that needs to be transformed. And I think, and, and we've talked about this on the show, L.A. and, and Keith, uh, that is a huge challenge when you talk about changing the culture and transforming these police departments. But, Keith, we're going to take this break, and we come back, we're going to get back into the conversation on today's uh, show topic about police reform versus police officer reform. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Dermarest, the psoriasis solution, asks, What's complete freedom? For me, it's an open road with the top down. It's my bare arms getting warmed by the sun. It's my bare arms without a trace of psoriasis. Complete Freedom, brought to you by the complete relief of Dermarest psoriasis. Unlike brands which only relieve itching and inflammation, Dermarest psoriasis also removes the embarrassing scales, allowing healthy skin to grow. Healthy skin? That's complete freedom. Dermarest, the psoriasis solution. to the UN Law broadcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, IVMTV, and uh, other uh, outlets. But don't forget, if you missed any part of the broadcast, you can go to our website and listen to this show and all the UN Law shows in its entirety. I'd love to have you listen, of course. Uh, just check the uh, schedule and, and listen to this broadcast and others. For uh, Chief Keith Pumphrey and Chief Virgil Green. If you have any questions, hit us up uh, right now at 646 uh, The You and the Law One page on Facebook. And of course, in the chat room, the chat room's open. You can have your voice heard uh, here. I will be uh, screening calls if you uh, get silence. It's because uh, we're screening the calls. If you have a question or comment for uh, the the, the uh, great brothers of Chief Keith Humphrey and Chief Virgil Green. Um, uh, to your point, guys, uh, again, getting a lot of uh, complaints, if you will, um, and frustration from the unions, and a lot of uh, people are saying because of what they're seeing on TV in terms of, you know, a lot of these um, officers in, in some cases, maybe not so much, you know, recent, of course, George Floyd and that officer um, is going to do time, but no billing, whether it be the union or it be the city council or the mayor or whoever, no billing. And people, you guys know what that means, that uh, they're they're not finding fault with these, these officers. A, a interesting other thing that came in um, that Jonathan said in New Orleans, that they've had a lot of issues with, uh, and it's funny, 
uh, he said, uh, with the cops being able to Furman stuff, and he's talking about Mark Furman planting evidence in the O.J. Simpson trial. So he said he mm-hmm. called it a Furman. It was really funny. Um, but, I mean, funny in the sense of what he called it. But he brought that up in terms of the the no billing because of the evidence being planted and, and things of that nature. He wanted to know if you guys could address that as well. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll address that. Yeah, I'll. I'll address it. Yeah, there is the Furman uh, philosophy and the Furman actions. You know, it's uh, you know I, I will say that there's such a there's such pressure from some chiefs, a small amount of chiefs, that we got to get these convictions. Uh, we've got to get these people off the street by any means necessary. You got to be real careful when the police chief comes in and gives those type of orders like zero tolerance. Uh, by any means necessary because you have officers saying, well, you're the, you're the chief. He's just given us permission to do whatever we want to. And it comes down to the point of uh, not valuing people's lives or well-being. So you might be a felon and, and, and the way officers justify those, those officers who do this, a small amount of officers that do that is, well, he was going to do something. So we was going to go to jail eventually. So let me just get him off the street now. And they really believe that they're being some sort of hero by getting this person off the jail, that they uh, getting this person off the street, that they perceive as a danger, but they violated this person's civil rights. Uh, it comes down to what we've said before. I can do what I want to do because this badge gives me that authority to do so. And so, um, you know, and, 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 and so when you do stuff like that, L.A., and to the listeners and to, and to Virgil, that's criminal. That's not an administrative case alone. That's criminal where people should go to jail, uh, you know, um, based on planning evidence. Uh, there has been about 20 cases in Dallas County. Uh, the former district attorney, Craig Watkins, opened up about 20 or 30, about 20 cases that had some questionable um, uh, some questionable violations of people's uh, uh, civil rights. And 18 to 20 of those cases were uh, the people were released based on the planning of evidence, based on the fact of allowing, not providing uh, proper information to the, to, the, to the prosecutor or to the defense attorney. It comes down to, by any means necessary, we're going to do what we need to do to get this person off the street. That's criminal. That's criminal. You can't turn your eyes on or your head to heads. It's criminal. And I guess the things that we've seen over the last 30 years, the OJ case, uh, the case in Atlanta where you had, uh, they went to the knock lat the wrong place and they killed this elderly lady and planted stuff in her house, that type of stuff. Um, Rampart in Oak in uh, in in, um, in uh, L.A. Those kind of things they, they don't get people's attention. That's the frustrating part of it. And those individuals, those individuals went to the pen, and it's still not a deterrent mm-hmm. for some of these officers. I can't explain it. I can't. You know, well, if you put your well, hand on a, if you put your hand on a hot stove. Do you know next time not to put your hand on that stove? But some of these people think the laws don't apply to them, and, and that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, well, and you know, Keith, you know, there's a 
the slogan that's been used for for decades uh, within the the policing uh, industry, and is the fact that the the police need to go in and and take control of of these com- of communities, especially you know in the in the black communities and in in our uh, brown and poor and marginalized communities. You know, and I that that attitude, that mindset, that thought. Uh, of the police need to go in and, and take these communities back really needs to change. It's the fact that the communities need to take back the communities because, and again, the communities, the, the police need to work with the communities. The, the communities need to work with the police, but you've got this, this, this culture in policing. We've had the war on drugs. We had the war on games. We had, uh, everything has been a, a war against uh, communities, and the, the most impacted communities have been our uh, black and brown communities. And and so it is we're coming out of an era of those types of of enforcement where it's the war on drugs, the war on 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 games, uh, and and now so many people have so many communities have have just gotten so frustrated with the fact that the policing industry continues to get things wrong. Yeah, there are some good things happening, but all of those good things are being overshadowed by all of the, the, the bad things. Uh, and, and, and these are the things that people are talking about, Keith. Uh, they're not necessarily talking about the police officers who are helping homeless people, or they're not talking about the police officer who may take a, a, a go to the store and buy a, a single mom uh, a box of Pampers because he went to the home for whatever reason and realized that, you know, that there wasn't any baby formula or any Pampers, and the, they went to the store and they bought it and took it back. Those things don't, don't, uh, don't necessarily get uh, the, the media's attention. What gets everybody's attention is when you see a police officer kicks uh, a woman handcuffed in a in a face, and then Keith, like an incident that took place in New York. Now we talk about reform, Keith. We talk about agencies. Here we are in the 21st century. We've been through the era of former President Barack Obama's 21st century community policing. And Keith, what was one of the main things in the six pillars of community in the 21st century community policing? Legitimacy and, and community trust. Yeah, and, and but also body worn cameras, technology, body worn. Everybody's been talking about body worn yeah. cameras. Now, yeah, yeah, which this was really this really surprised me, Keith. In the state of New York, the the state police in New York have do not their officers, their state troopers, do not have body worn cameras. They do not have in car cameras. the The New York legislation just recently passed a law mandating and providing funding for the New York State Police to start outfitting their officers with body-worn cameras and in-car cameras. 
after this incident took place, there was an incident that took place where a New York State police officer pulls over a family, uh, said that the family, the, the dad, you know, was driving too fast. He pulls them over. Uh, they start to question, there was a conversation between the, the father and, and the state trooper. The state trooper goes back to his car. He comes back, and without any justification, uh, the state trooper pepper sprays, uses pepper spray inside of the vehicle with the the father, the mother, and and two daughters in the the, the back seat. This is at night. The father is so is, is now like, what is wrong with this? With, so he fears for his family's safety, and there is a there is a uh, it, this was something that has not really been in the the news media uh, the limelight in the national news media uh, limelight like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor and other things that have happened, Keith. But so the the father takes off. Do you know this police officer uses his vehicle to ram the back? of the family's SUV, causing the SUV to flip, ejecting the the teenage daughter, killing her on impact. So this police officer, this state trooper, still active, uh, on duty, has not faced any kind of disciplinary action whatsoever. But when we talk about police reform, why – would one of the the nation's largest state police would not have any body worn cameras or any in car cameras? So there is no video of what took place with this incident whatsoever, Keith. Well, I think people take advantage of that. I think that, uh, and, and I will tell you, and I've said this before, um, LA and 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 Virgil to the listeners. You know, one of the things that the the reasons that that police departments give regarding body worn cameras is the funding. Uh, the cameras aren't the aren't the cost; it's the it's the storage. Uh, don't know if that's the case in New York. And you would think that having the the I believe the the New York Police Department has forty thousand officers. Uh, they have it. They 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 have cameras. Um, yeah. Syracuse, New York, has cameras. Uh, mm-hmm. Why would you not, as a, as a state trooper or a state police department, why would you not have cameras or some sort of recording device? When I was in Norman, before we went to body cameras, every police officer had a a tape recorder, and it was mandated on every encounter to turn that tape recorder on. You can't compare the two, but at least it was a recording device that you could at least hear the interaction between the officer and the the citizen. But how do you explain a highway patrol of state police not having body cameras before 2021? How do you explain that? That does make people think that you've got something to hide. Well, not so much to hide, but that you're not really following how you're not following the best practices. And, and Keith, we're going to take this break and we're going to come back because I know we got a lot of people listening to the show and and they're sharing their comments. 
uh, about the topic of police reform. But we're going to take this break and we come back and get back into the topic of police reform versus police officer reform. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to the You and the Law broadcast on the Bachelor News uh, Radio Network, WTON. Uh, the Bachelor News Air Time Now Pro is where you can hear the rebroadcast. And uh, keep in mind, folks, if you want to support this program, um, they do the service for you, getting out all the information that we need um, to survive, if you will, and just be up and honest with these two uh, black police chiefs. Um, you can email us if you're interested in advertising with us at labachelor40 at gmail.com, labachelor with a T, 40 at gmail.com. Guys, I did get a, a question as our mind is in the background. It came from, just go back and look at um, Robert in Yanceyville. I'm assuming that's Yanceyville, North Carolina. In any event, um, he said, um, actually, it was Stewart in Atlanta. I'm looking at something something else. Uh, said, excuse me, if white society would mar- stop marginalizing us, us being black, he put in present, uh, parentheses, the relationship with us and cops would be better. We are law-abiding and believe in law and order, and the relationship would be better if they believe that. Unlike what the mainstream media says, we don't want to defund the police, is what he had to say. Podcast show. I want thirty-three years ago. When I got into law enforcement, thirty-three years ago, it was a uh, in the department that I worked for. That was a known fact that if you were a African American or Hispanic, you were a threat. As a matter of fact, during the during training, every scenario that involved some type of um, irate behavior or, or violent crime, uh, it was a it was betrayed uh, by a black or Hispanic. Um, and 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 so, are there departments that marginalize people of color? Absolutely. Uh, just think mm-hmm. about the incident that happened. We talked about last week. Uh, when you when you even treat a police officer like they treat, you know, you put a Ku Klux Klan sign and you think it's a joke, uh, then how do you yeah. treat, if you treat your internal stakeholders like that, how are you treating the community? And I say mm-hmm. it all the time that the, the chief sets the tone. The chief works for the city manager or the mayor. 
the the mayor or the city manager has to set expectations. When those expectations aren't met, then there needs to be a change in leadership. But it, it comes down to you're absolutely right. There are police departments that that truly train their officers or have their officers believe that if you live in a certain area or you look a certain way or you're a certain size or you're wearing something, that you are dangerous. And, and when you do that, that's setting a bad precedence because now you've got officers out here, every time they see someone who looks like, that doesn't look like them, the fear factor goes up. And then now the emotions kicking in and those emotions can lead to excessive force or worse. And, and Keith, and I'll say this, and I think one of the things is that uh, so many police officers uh, forget that this job is is about service. We get into the enforce, 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 and it's not about the service of the, of the citizens. And you got some officers who are who are doing that, but the the culture of policing has has taught police officers that. These are the bad communities. These are the people who live in public housing, or these are people who are who are poor, and marginalized. They, you know, they they living off of the system. And it's your job. Uh, you you've taken a job now that if they have a problem, you got to go and you got to deal with their problem. And so the mindset and the culture of policing has been. Uh, they don't know how to deal with themselves. You guys got to go in there and deal with them, and you deal with it however way you want to uh, see fit. Uh, we may have taught you how to deal. We may have taught you or trained you how to deal with them, but at the end of the day, you got some discretion to use. And that word discretion, Keith, is 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 what has given officers so broad of 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 of, uh, of of latitude to to just say, well, I use my discretion to do X, Y, and Z, uh, and, and so that's why we have seen this decades after decades of issues between the police and the, especially the black community. And and Keith, one of the and we we've, we've talked about this before, Keith, but why is it? The police officers really need to understand it is you you're the one that's causing the problem, yeah, you may have responded to some type of family domestic or something some other type of of call for service, but at the end of the day actions has has what led to so much of the community not trusting what they are seeing police officers do. And so, Keith, it, it starts out with the police. Well, let me say this, Virgil, and I want to make it clear to our listeners. Virgil is not saying that all police. He's saying, oh, no, and no. I don't want to speak for him, he's saying there are that there's that small percentage of police officers who just don't get it that yeah. make it bad for all officers because it doesn't matter if it's a one-person department. It doesn't matter if it's a 40,000-person department. When when an incident like this, we are all wrapped up into the actions of that officer, and it's hard to get out of that, unwrap that when that occurs. That's why there's a big – so then you have individuals who just shut down, and they say, 
reform or defund because all police, that's the unfair part of it is that officers like you, officers like me, officers like the 99% of those individuals who wear guns are lumped up into that, and we have to suffer for the, the damage that a few do. And that few has a possibility of getting their job back if you and me as police chiefs believe their actions are so egregious that they deserve termination, and then there's a system in place to put those individuals back to work, this is just a this is like this is like a tire just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning. That's why the communities become frustrated. And and I said this before, I've told I've told the unions of my previous police department and my current department Quit going on TV saying you're defending your members and say that you're representing mm-hmm. people. Under, people understand that, that, that there's, a, there's, a positive, there's a positive, there's positive things when it comes to unions. You know, there, there are. But when you sit there and you say you're defending this person, what the communities are hearing is that you are um, – agreeing with the actions and you are going to defend them come hell or high water people people that's what people are seeing people understand that that officers need uh, representation because there are officers that have been treated uh, unfairly by yeah. you know unfairly yes and they people understand that but when you got a video of an officer like the one in Dallas you can't justify that. And like I said, I commend the union president for saying, hey, I'm glad these officers stepped in and, and, and intervened. That's the stuff we need to hear. We don't need to hear that the chief is picking on the, on the, uh, on the officers or the, the mayor is picking on the officers or the chief is only reacting the way that he did because he is trying to appease the community. That's the stuff that hurts us with our community. Um, when you do that, because it's basically you're saying, you know, what's the big deal? You know, that's yeah. part of the job. It's not part of the job to violate somebody's civil rights. I've said this before, Virgil, in L.A., and I've said this. The majority of the of the nation understands there is a level of force that is necessary at times all the way from showing up on the scene, even all the way up, God forbid, up to deadly force. But people think that there are officers that automatically go to that gun before anything else. And we try to get exactly. people to understand that whether that's true or not to the officers, whether that's true or not, that's the perception people have based on the incidents that have occurred throughout the nation over the years. Yeah. Well, and, Keith, I want to say this before I get to, to the comment uh, that we have from Robert in uh, uh, North Carolina. You know, I think when – when you have these uh, police unions come out and they are so uh, uh, open about their uh, they're protecting uh, their member, they're protecting the officer. At, at some point, you're going to have some some uh, attorney who's going to go after the FOP and the money that the FOP has, and they're going to start dragging these FOP unions into courts, and and because of the comments that they're coming out making to the public about something that they probably shouldn't be talking about and letting that agency investigate that incident. Uh, but, but you've got police unions coming out making these comments. But, 
Keith, uh, you know, Robert in um, in in North Carolina in in Yanceyville said that white officers that come from predominantly white neighborhoods should be thoroughly trained in dealing with people of color in the neighborhoods they live in. Uh, he says that is where the real training should should happen. It's a good point, Robert. I mean, you know, we have officers who are hired by police departments. They they're coming in working in predominantly uh, you know black communities and, and and poor and brown poor and marginalized communities and they have no connection with the community whatsoever and they don't know how to fully fully relate to what's going on with the day to day struggles in these communities, uh, Keith. Well, I, I I will tell you this, and and I like to make it equitable. That also goes for other ethnic groups, too, because you can have black officers who have never encountered whites. That could be said the same way, Hispanic officers, same thing. So we don't want to just always say white officers because that makes it seem one-sided. Because I'm telling you, there are white officers out here that I, w- I, would, I would die for based on oh, yeah. the good nature that they have. Now, let me say this, man. You know, it, it, it gets frustrating with me when a person says, and, and there's a person that 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 made a comment um, that that was really that was really disturbing. Yeah, in the chat room that he talks about our show divides the community from law enforcement and pushes the left wing agenda to defend the police. That is that is that is we we never made this political. As a matter of no, fact, we no. stay as far as politics that we can, but we're telling facts. The facts are there are officers out there that have issues with people of color. There are officers who are of a color that have issues with people that, that, that don't look like them. That's what we're talking about. But you can't negate the fact that what people are seeing on TV is continually being uh, white officers, and count African-Americans. That doesn't mean that's a true statement all over the nation, but you, 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 you can't change the minds of, of, commu- of, of communities of color when that's what they're seeing. We're not pushing a left wing. We're pushing the fact of we want police officers, we want police officers in communities to be able to work together. We want police officers to understand you can't just go around beating on people. I'll say this again. I don't think you're going to find very many people in the nation or in the community, in communities of color, whatever, that doesn't understand there is a time to utilize force. But but to the gentleman that said something about politics, that's not all. Well, and and I think he, and Keith, you know, he's he's acting, his comments, and and this is, uh, you know, Rick in Decatur, Georgia. And Rick, obviously, you 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 find this show uh, educational, enlightening uh, to to take the time to to listen to this podcast show, and and the topics that we talk about because they're they're very neutral. We're not anti-police. We are in the in the law enforcement industry, but we are talking with our listeners and you all about things that whether it's right or wrong, we are addressing the things that most likely is not being talked about. 
in the law enforcement industry. And so I think that's why people feel people tune in every week and listen to the show because they get a they get a, a sense of the honesty and in in how pure we are about what we talk about. And it's not shucking and jiving. It ain't, you know, oh one week we say this and the next week we're pretty consistent, I believe, Keith, about what we talk about and the fact we don't we are not advocating for defunding the police. And and one of the things that a lot of people really need to understand is that especially people in the in the black community, the black community is not advocating for defunding the police. The the black in in, in our Latino and our uh, Native American community, they are actually asking for more police but better police protection and service. And so Keith, when people say you're trying to, you know, uh, this is a left-wing agenda, nothing is left-wing about it. I think you can make it left-wing if you want to, but we're not making it a left-wing agenda. We're just simply having this open and honest dialogue with our listeners about the things that are happening in this industry. Well, well, he's a person that we're not saying what, we, what he wants to hear, that police need to get bad people off the street by any means necessary. But he's listening to the show. And, I think so. He's listening to the yeah. show. So I think he, he, he wants to hear what we have to say, but he has a different opinion well, you know, about it. He, he, he has a different opinion, and that's fine if you have that opinion. But don't come on here talking about we're talking about politics. We're talking about how no. to make law enforcement better and more receptive to all communities. But the questions that we bring up are questions that we get from communities of color. The community. And that's what we're yeah. talking about. We're getting that from the community. We have just as many white listeners as we do black listeners. And it's not a black thing. Policing is not a black or white thing. Law enforcement is, has been created to protect everyone. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we realize, and, and you've, you've heard me say this, the listeners have heard me say this, less than 1% of the police are committing these violations. Nobody ever said the entire police community was corrupt. Nobody said that, yeah. we, should do, that we should favor certain people. We're telling you facts of what we see in cases that, have, that are factual, that are in the media. Derek Chauvin murdering George Floyd was facts. Millions of people saw that. That ain't a left mm-hmm. or right thing. That's a disgrace yeah. to the profession. That's what that is. Yeah. So I'm sorry you Thank feel you. that way. I'm, I'm sorry. But, but at the end of the day, we're, we're telling facts. We're not making anything up. Exactly, exactly. Well, and Keith, I'm, you know, I'll say this before we have to end the show, and I think it's been a, a, another great topic, another great show. We've had so many people from all all over uh, the, the world listening in uh, to what we what we talk about. Uh, but, you know, this gentleman takes the time to, to listen to us, uh, and obviously he's getting something out of it. And we want to encourage you to come back and listen to to you and the Law Podcast Show live every Tuesday, and and have these inputs because again, we're having these conversations about topics that are typically not had on a day to day basis. But Keith, it's been another great show, brother. Uh, but it's time to to say uh, you know we'll we'll get together again 
next Tuesday and do this all over again. Well, maybe we need but, to talk about uh, people like like gentlemen that that keep the nation divided. divided Those type exactly. of comments that keep the nation divided and keep people from not wanting to trust law enforcement. So maybe we need to have a show about that. Exactly. All right. Well, hey, we're going to end on that note, but uh, we want to thank everybody for listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
solid me from the start With such physical attraction, girl, you know to feel the spark I want a few words, now go tell you no sweet talk Now go laba, 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 and I chop your fart I'll get straight to the point, like a horror, horror dart Come lay down and you can see and get some bubble bath Only sound you will hear is the beating of my heart And we will, mmm, and that's some sweet little talk And boom, bossy, then the fantastic Suffering on the box, this is a Mr. Rose I'm the fantastic, but me not me box it is a Mr. Rose She want a man to caress her up she like 
Them a make love to woman like a quad Them a go Woman a ball in a agony and all a house Adcore loving man you must be insane Woman who want a man to make she be clean Sweet loving in the fall in the rain Sweet loving a mix of all brain Mad, 
Ain't no wicked in a bed now Wicked man and Madina See all it does to tell the world That I am wicked in a bed now Wicked man and Madina See all it does to tell the world That I am wicked in a bed now Wicked man and Madina In a me bed me don't want Alfred No one Tony Me don't want Ted We not promote mama man All mama man for dead Pop pop Because I see that a mama man Said I am bad man Little boy who was misled by another little boy, and this is 
what he said. Me and you tonight, we're gonna make some cash. Robbing old folks and making the dash. They did the job, money came with ease. But one couldn't stop, it's like he had a disease. He robbed another and another and a sister and a brother. Tried to rob a man who was a DC undercover. The cop grabbed his arm, he started acting erratic. He said, keep still, boy, no need for static. Punched him in his belly and he gave him a slap. But little did he know the little boy was strapped. The kid pulled out a gun, he said, why'd you hit me? The barrel set straight for the cop's kidney. The cop got scared, the kid he thought to figure. I'll do years if I pull this trigger. So he co-dashed and ran around a block. Cop radios into another lady cop. He ran by a tree, there he saw the sister. Shot for the head, he shot back, but he missed her. Looked around good and from expectations, he decided he'd hit for the subway stations. But she was coming and he made a left. He was running top speed till he was out of breath. Knocked an old man down and swore he killed Sorry. him. Then he made his move to an abandoned building Ran up the stairs up to the top floor Opened up a door there, guess who he saw? Who? Dave the dope be shooting dope Who don't know the meaning of water nor soap be said. I need bullets, hurry up, run The dope fiend brought back a spanking shotgun He went outside when there was cops all over Then he dipped into a car, a stolen Nova Raced up the block doing 83 Crashed into a tree near university Escaped alive though the car was battered Rat-a-tat tatted and all the cops got Ran out of bullets and he still had static Grabbed the pregnant lady and pulled out the automatic Pointed out her head, he said the gun was full of lead He told the cops, back off, for honey here's dead Deep in his heart, he knew he was wrong So he let the lady go and he starts to run on Sirens sounded, he seemed astounded And before long the little boy got surrounded He dropped his gun, so went the glory And this is the way I have to end this story He was only 17 in a madman's dream The cops shot the kid, I still hear him scream This ain't funny, so don't you Dear laugh, huh? just another case about the wrong path. Huh? Straight and arrow are your soldiers. Cat. Good night. Knock him out the box, Rick. Knock him out, Rick.
And mix me 
Thank you. 